0: Hi, folks. Welcome to the Aspire Natural Health Podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard to treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible, whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people you know who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing which is really important is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast, and it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way iTunes ranks us highly, other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. All right, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, folks. This is Dr. Gersmar. I am in La Isla Restaurant here in Redmond. Uh, No affiliation with the place, but they have great Puerto Rican food, and they have been tremendously accommodating and helpful. So if you are interested in Puerto Rican food, I recommend uh, that you come down and give them a shot. I'll also give a shout-out. I'm sitting here with Dr. Richard Wyckoff. We're going to talk about his uh, change from... More traditional uh, psychotherapy into more a more functional approach, and the the new direction that he's going with patients. And we are here ahead of a functional forum. If you've never heard about it before, I recommend um, you can jump onto YouTube and type in functional forum and catch a lot of the back shows of it. It is a chance for uh, anyone practicing uh, in the new integrated alternative functional style of medicine or anyone trying to build a new style of medicine that's different from the conventional system as a chance to get together have meetups uh so definitely check it out in your area if uh, that's something that interests you well uh let me without further ado let me introduce dr wyckoff so hey dr wyckoff hi tim thanks for taking the chance to sit down with me and um you know mental health is a huge huge issue uh You know, people who do what I do, naturopaths and other functional medicine doctors, we tend to get stuck a lot focusing on the body uh, and the brain, uh, maybe, and uh, a lot of times the mental health issues for people get left out, which is a huge huge issue because quality of what's about... At the end of the day, it's about quality of life and giving people their lives back and helping them feel good. And uh, uh, so where do you want to start?
1: Well, just to piggyback on... Excuse me. Mm-hmm. On what you just said, I think for psychologists, we tend to uh, overemphasize cognitive and behavioral issues uh-huh. and underemphasize the importance of a person's biological reality. Mm. Uh, I've been in practice 46 years mm-hmm. and have kind of gone through the gamut from psychoanalysis in the early years through cognitive behavioral therapy, applied psychophysiology, mm-hmm. a lot of different approaches. But it wasn't until recently that I really started to understand the basic biochemical reality of most mental health issues.
0: So Rick, how does this differ from psychiatry where the, the, my understanding is they basically almost entirely moved away from any psychotherapeutic approaches at all, and it's all just about adjusting a person's psychopharmacology or let's take the million-dollar words out of it. They don't sit down and talk to their patients anymore. They just give them drugs like the Prozac and Paxil and all the different drugs. So how does what you're saying differ from... The kind of traditional uh, or rather conventional psychiatric approach that we're seeing these days?
1: Well, I think the major word is psychopharmacology or drugs. <clears throat> Bench made molecules uh, tend to be easy to patent mm-hmm. and therefore easy to charge very large amounts of money for uh, and to control the market. Sure. Uh, and so psychiatry, for the most part, although I'm starting to see some uh, very tiny inroads in the literature, mm-hmm. uh, psychiatry, for the most part, is looking at a very narrow range of psychopharmacological products mm-hmm. that uh, are prescribed uh, to individuals with mental health problems. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to back up a little bit and understand that uh, that psychiatric and psychological problems essentially have been understood by categorizing symptoms mm-hmm. so if you can't sleep and you have uh, uh, uh negative thoughts about yourself and 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 low energy, and you feel hopeless and helpless. Mm-hmm. Uh, those symptom constellations we tend to call depression. Yes. But uh, depression in one person mm-hmm. is biochemically not the same thing as depression for another person. Hmm. So when we give standard antidepressant medications to uh, one person it could help them very very much Mm -hmm. and other people it can kill them Mm -hmm. Uh, it can create such uh, anxiety and hostility and uh, uh, mental health problems manic problems Mm -hmm. that it can drive them to suicide or to homicide Mm -hmm. so we have these little black box warnings on the drug boxes that say uh, that that's a possibility but what psychiatry hasn't really looked at is how to predict with some validity mm-hmm. who will react well to a medication and who will not.
0: Right. I have seen, uh, just uh, I've had a couple of patients come to me now with some of these new genetic screenings that they're doing, um, which are supposedly predicting that. Uh, so here I'm going with big words again uh, the efficacy or how effective. Uh, different drugs are going to be and whether they're a good choice. And supposedly, um, you know, what I understand in the conventional system is is that's the approach they're going to take, is to screen someone genetically. Um, and to be honest, I don't know exactly what they're looking for, different mutations and different uh, pathways to that suggest whether a, you know, a certain drug oh, it, it, how well it's metabolized and whether they clear it effectively and maybe how it might affect their system and so that...
1: It's absolutely amazing the mm-hmm. advances we have in genetics now. Sure. Um, <clears throat> that being said, the major difference for individuals with depression, for example, sure, uh, is how well they methylate. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Methylation is a part of a biochemical pathway mm-hmm. that is involved in the uh, synthesis of most of our mental health chemicals, the sure. neurotransmitters sure. that we talk about. Sure. And someone who under-methylates may be um, able to get some real benefit from a standard serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Okay. Okay. Uh, whereas, someone who over-methylates mm-hmm. may be someone who would have serious problems with it. Okay. Now, the problem today with uh, gen- gene testing for mm-hmm. methylation status uh-huh. is that there are some 26 different genes mm-hmm. that, uh, in concert, uh, determine a person's methylation status. Mm. What mm-hmm. many people are looking at is just one or two genes, yes, typically the MTHFR gene or right. the Compt gene, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or a few others. To date, no one really has a good way of uh, looking at the various SNPs or mutations mm-hmm. in uh, a large number of genes, and then telling you what the bottom line Biochemical reality will be right. So there are actually cheap and simple blood tests that will determine a person's methylation status, for my purposes, mm-hmm. uh, much more accurately than the gene testing today. Okay. But I'll bet you, Tim, mm-hmm. in ten years or f- even five years, mm-hmm. that will be changed.
0: Right. I mean, I think I would agree with you. What we're seeing is, you know, with services like Twenty Three and Me, where people are able to, you know, send in. Uh, their genetics essentially and get, the, get a chunk of them sequenced for a couple hundred dollars what I saw is there was a tremendous blossom of interest in patients thinking hey awesome I can know so much more about my health and what's going on for me and by and large that's been tremendously disappointing for people because they get all these results and, and there's very little actionable data mm-hmm. right now and so people end up bringing in page after page of Of uh, of readings of mutations here or normal genes here, but at the end of the day, for most of us doctors right now, sorry folks, in 2016, we can identify some key genes and what they do and how they impact people. For example, the MTHFR gene can be significant for some people, um, but a lot of it we're still left uh, not not knowing for sure how significant uh, some of these are for people or. how it affects treatment so i think what what rick is saying here is we can look at genetics and and that's going to continue to be a more and more significant piece of of unraveling the puzzle but for our intent and purposes we're a little less concerned with genetics than with the functionality of the system and whether the system is functioning correctly and whether we can nudge it back into functioning i mean the way i think about it is I don't necessarily, if we're looking at a car and we're trying to understand why it doesn't work right, I don't really need to know if it's a V8 or a V6 or whether it's an automatic transmission or a manual. I need to find out if it's running effectively, if the spark plugs are working and the, every, all the pieces. And then my understanding of what you're talking about here is we want to look at more of how the system is running than, than sort of, it, I know it's not perfect, but sort of how it's built, right? What the genetics are telling
1: us. Yeah, that's the state of the art today. But right. I think that will change I, soon. Right. Uh, <clears throat> I've had a number of patients who come in with a conviction that they are under methylating because they have uh, SNPs in their M T H uh, F R gene, right. for example. Okay. And when I run my blood work I find that they're actually either normal methylators or over methylating. Interesting. And <clears throat> that is critical when you're making a decision about how to proceed uh, with treatment. Now, I, as a psychologist, uh-huh. do not prescribe psychiatric drugs. Okay. Uh, I tend to uh, leave that to my colleagues, both by law and the, and the scope of my license. Sure, sure. But what I have found is that it's possible... To get the same effectiveness, we mm-hmm. call it efficacy, Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, with simple nutrients that you can buy over the counter at uh, Costco or uh, Super Supplements or right. any uh, s- supplement store uh-huh. that has the same effect as psychiatric drugs, but without the negative side effects.
0: Well, that's a big deal. That's a so
1: yeah. I'm very excited about that. We can, we can essentially correct chemical imbalances now uh-huh. uh, without bench-made molecules from the pharmaceutical houses.
0: I don't know if you know the answer to this question, Rick, but you know, especially teens and children that put the black box warning on a lot of the psychiatric drugs for suicide and mm-hmm. for homicide, are they just more sensitive some of these compounds? Do you know? Are they more sensitive to some of these compounds? Or did they get the bad luck to be the over-methylators uh, or the, the people who were really affected? Or do you, know, do you know?
1: Well, I do know that Dr. Walsh, who uh. is um, essentially the biochemist who discovered the biotypes of psychiatric uh, conditions Uh and then developed nutritional strategies for treating them Uh has uh, studied that uh, to some extent. Uh And he has uh, told me that a very high percentage of, for example, the school shooters, Uh adolescent school shooters, were uh, depressed kids Mm -hmm. who were over methylators okay. who were then placed on SSRI drugs mm-hmm. uh, within just a few months before they had their problems so yeah. in in research it 's really interesting if you if you think of depression as a uh, single entity mm-hmm. and then you give uh, a drug to uh, a thousand people who are depressed, right, and some of them become suicidal or homicidal. Yes, you really don't have a way to predict, and so you put a black box, box warning, and um, it's probably a good idea for us to protect our young people, right. but we should be thinking the same uh, concern about elderly people sure, and sure. about middle-aged people. Sure. Because a certain percentage of um, all people with depression are going to be overmethylators. methylators mm. uh, But Dr. Walsh found that 47 of the last 50 school shooters mm-hmm. were actually over-methylators who were on antidepressant yeah. drugs.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, particularly relevant, I know not kids, but we just uh, this is just days after the most recent mass shooting that took place in, in, in Orlando and you have to wonder if that particular gentleman had had some of these same issues. I, I, I don't know um, but but particularly poignant you know our, our all of our brains are very sensitive, but especially our kids and we're seeing you know a whole generation now growing up on different psychiatric meds, whether it's, um, you know, for ADD, they're doing uh, Ritalin or Adderall, or whether it's depression or anxiety, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're not here to say that there's no place for these medications, but certainly what we're saying is they, you know, they're not risk-free, and they have effects, and some pe- for some people, they go very, very badly, And so if there are other alternatives, and I think the point of having this conversation is to spread the word that there are alternatives for people, and they're often cheaper, and they're often, uh, you know, side effect free, essentially, because they're just nutrients uh, that the body needs and uses anyways – um, and it's really about you know, finding a practitioner who will work with you to, to make this happen. So why don't we talk about this a little bit? So um, it, just briefly, Rick, how was this discovered? We, we talked about Dr. Walsh a little bit. And, um, and can you give him the, the short version? How did he get into this? And
1: Well, Dr. Walsh was the research director for the Carl Pfeiffer Institute. Okay mm-hmm. And as you and many of your listeners may know, Carl Pfeiffer was one of the pioneers in orthomolecular psychiatry. Right. Uh, when Carl died, uh, Dr. Walsh opened up his own research institute, the Walsh Research Institute, okay. and continued his, his research. Um, I, I'd like to go back to something you said that sure. I think is very important. Sure. And that is that uh, no one should stop taking their psychiatric medication and go to the health food store and pick one of these and one of those mm-hmm. and kind of self-medicate with mm-hmm. nutrients. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what you read on the internet or, or what you may know, uh, it is important to get blood work and urinalysis done so that you can be uh, guided for advanced individualized nutrient therapy yes. by the, your actual biochemistry not by your symptoms, right. Uh, that being said, uh, my own strategy is to keep people who are successfully on antidepressants uh, or anti-anxiety agents or antipsychotics to keep them on those medications until we build a bridge with nutrition that is quite stable, Mm -hmm. and that can take six months to a year to get to the point that we are really ready to start tapering down medications. And when we get there, uh, a good percentage of uh, people can successfully eliminate their dependence on psychiatric drugs just by maintaining their nutrition. Uh, Mm -hmm. Another large group of them can... Get away with much smaller amounts of psychiatric drugs. So when we do this, we do this in collaboration with their prescribing psychiatrist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, it it has on occasion um, opened the eyes of psychiatrists to the fact that there are other ways other than bench made pharmaceutical molecules. Right,
0: right. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, I, I do recommend you know go take a look. Um, you can find plenty of information on the internet about Carl Pfeiffer who was a, who was himself a psychiatrist, I believe back in the 1960s, if that was right and mm-hmm. treated many people with schizophrenia um, using very high doses of vitamin B3 and found that um, that many of them got really significant benefits and um, went on to found a society of some of his fellows and and of course the prof- relatively speaking it never really took off because there's not much, I hate to be so cynical but there's not much money in b3 and uh compared to um the prescriptions and there's no uh, no no one's out there lobbying to give people b3 um but it can make it make a huge difference and and so uh so that's where this started and then dr walsh thankfully uh after dr pfeiffer's death um continued this on so it wasn't lost yes um, and dr mm-hmm.
1: walsh then Actually compiled the largest uh, database mm-hmm. of human uh, blood, urine, and tissue samples of people with known psychiatric uh, conditions, mm-hmm. and he developed the concept of biotypes. Okay, and th- that's really the, one of the most exciting discoveries in uh, psychiatry and psychology. Uh, In recent times because what he discovered was that if you take a group of depressed people Mm -hmm. that they actually will cluster into five or six distinct categories biochemically Hmm. interesting and so when you know the Mm biotype the biochemical imbalance that is causing their depression Mm -hmm. you then can treat it effectively whereas uh, in traditional or uh, contemporary psychiatry yes. uh, and psychology we're just treating all depression as if it's one condition right uh, and so I think that that he really has made a major uh, contribution to the world and he's in, currently training uh, uh, physicians all around the world nice. his goal is to train a thousand physicians um uh, within the next few years. Uh, typically, he does not accept psychologists into his training group. Mm-hmm. But uh, a number of years ago, I started the or, an organization called the Alliance for Nutrition and Mental Health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applied for his training mm-hmm. and was originally turned down, but then I uh, begged my way in. <laughs> and so I'm now one of three psychologists in the United States. And there's a fourth psychologist in Ireland mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are now trained by Dr. Walsh. Nice. Uh, so th- those resources are beginning to develop.
0: Nice, nice.
1: So what type of new I know
0: so listen, let's just reiterate for people that this isn't a call to run out to the store and buy these nutrients and just try them yourself. We're talking that listen, there are just like there are many the, 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 one disease has many different expressions, and there are many different factors that go on to cause that dysfunction or disease. We're saying the same thing here about mental health and and so we were just saying depression has five or six different. Uh, imbalances of of different things that can cause depression and so um, you know we're going to talk about a few different nutrients and it's not a call just to run out and go grab those nutrients and just start taking them because what we've heard is the same nutrient that can help one person, just like the same drug that can help one person with depression, can make another person with depression significantly worse. And so that's the reason that we go and get some of these tests done. Um, and they're relatively inexpensive. Couple, you know, what, A couple hundred dollars. couple hundred dollars, which I, I know can be an issue for some people, uh, but some of which can be covered by insurance, and some of which uh, there, there's one particular test that... Um, that that I've never seen insurance cover, and we can talk about that in a minute. But but worst-case scenario, if you can get your uh, MD to um, prescribe some of these tests, then insurance can pick it up. And so we're not talking about a a whole bunch of really exotic tests to be done here. Um, But let's talk about some of these nutrients. So what are some of these magical nutrients that can help people?
1: Well, it really depends upon the condition and the biotype. Sure. <clears throat> there is one condition that is truly fascinating to me called cryptopyrol disorder. yes, and um, pyroles are molecules that are produced when the body creates hemoglobin, which is necessary for oxygenation in our blood cells. Right. Uh, all of us produce pyroles, but some of us produce more pyroles than others mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things about a pyrole molecule. Is that it has an affinity for zinc and vitamin B6. Mm-hmm. And as it passes through our bloodstream on the way to our kidneys, where it is excreted in our urine, mm-hmm. uh, it essentially leaches out of our system uh, zinc and B6 that's in our uh, blood yes. system. Yes. Uh, that causes severe deficiencies of zinc and B6. Yes. So uh, many people with cryptopyral disorder do very well with a fairly large doses of zinc and B6. Right. But because this condition also produces a lot of... Uh, free radicals, mm-hmm. you also need to uh, kind of buffer it with a lot of antioxidants, mm-hmm. vitamins like vitamin C mm-hmm. and vitamin E. Mm-hmm. Uh, biotin mm-hmm. it can be important, mm-hmm. selenium can be important. Sure, sure. Uh, and it, it becomes uh, critical to know the proper dose because many people will go to the health food store and buy a low dose sublingual zinc mm-hmm. and uh, it simply will not do the trick. You have to have the right amount, the right uh, nutrients and in the right pattern or dosing. So for example, some should be taken in the morning mm-hmm. and some should be taken in with the evening mm-hmm. meal, mm-hmm. but all should be taken with meals.
0: Okay. Mm hmm. Yeah, so crypto, cryptopyral, I've heard it called cryptopyral urea, which is a giant name, which when you add urea to the end of anything, it just means it's in your pee, basically. Um, and uh, people can have differing levels. So some people have very mild cryptopyral disorder. Some people have extremely severe cryptopyral disorder. And the, the more significant it is, the more uh, B6 and zinc are just going to essentially fall right out of you, like uh, your, your drain is stuck all the way open um, and we've seen in some extreme circumstances that people are taking levels that would be frankly toxic to someone without this disorder at all and so they go to take they think maybe I need some zinc and they're taking normal amounts and it's like you know like throwing a cup of water in the desert basically it's not making any changes for people but again it's important to actually know before you go out and start mega dosing on these nutrients that you actually need them because not You know, cryptopyrrole disorder is out there, but of course, not everybody has it, and different people have it in different uh, different severities.
1: Yes, right. Most the most common symptom of cryptopyrrole disorder is simply understood as tired body, racing mind. Interesting. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. What What happens is that uh, in the chemical pathways of the production of our neurotransmitters mm-hmm. uh, when we have low zinc we tend to have high copper okay and if we have high free bivalent copper in our system uh, that tends to convert dopamine which is a feel-good neurotransmitter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. into norepinephrine which is the stress neurotransmitter interesting okay. and so mm-hmm. people be uh, develop uh, chronic worry, mm-hmm. uh, they can't go to sleep because they're worried about everything that happened during the day, mm-hmm. they'll invent worries to, mm. uh, to explain why they feel the way they feel, sure, sure. Um, and they also tend to be very stress intolerant, okay. so they get really brittle. Mm. and often they snap at the people they love and Mm. then they feel bad about themselves for doing that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, these are the people who often will have um problems with road rage Mm. um and the, the important thing is to understand that this is so easily corrected once we identify it. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually within three to five weeks, people are noticing significant improvements. Mm-hmm. One of my patients recently, I asked him if he had noticed any improvement. And he happened to bring his wife in for the session, and he said, no, I feel about the same. She Uh. says, you've got to be kidding. (laughs) Yes. You're a completely changed person. Uh, uh. You aren't snapping at me anymore. Right, right. Uh, So sometimes our loved ones uh, can see our changes before even we can. But it usually takes three to five weeks to start seeing improvement. And then within three months, we're seeing some really solid improvement.
0: Nice. Nice. So their copper levels are too high relative to their zinc. And so they're turning their feel-good brain chemicals into their stress brain chemicals.
1: Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, very interesting. So, a lot of people uh, with anxiety don't have a clonopin deficiency. They have a zinc copper imbalance. (laughs) Yes, Yes. exactly. Exactly. Certainly. And they're not, uh, the good news is zinc is inexpensive and you're not going to get addicted to it either. So, um, wherever possible. So, and simple blood tests can
1: tell us if there's zinc copper imbalance? Sure. Yep. Sure. We can get a uh, zinc and copper level mm-hmm. and then also measure a level of a protein called ceruloplasmin, which is a protein that regulates copper in the bloodstream. Okay. And through that, there's a fairly complex formula that we can calculate mm-hmm. the percent of free copper mm. that's actually um, the culprit in this circumstance. Sure, sure. That makes sense. So, we've, um, so that's a piece around anxiety.
0: We've talked a little bit about different types of depression. We've mentioned cryptopyrrole disorder. Um, speaking of ceruloplasmin, um, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong thing, Rick, but uh, I remember you telling me something about uh, dementia and progressive dementias. Was that right? Metallothionine. M- metallothionine. yes. Oh,
1: that's extremely exciting. It- Maybe, mm-hmm. and it's still too soon to to say definitively, uh-huh. but it may be that the actual cause of uh, dementia okay. is uh, oxidative stress and inflammation mm-hmm. that is complicated by um, essentially heavy metals. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a protein in the body called metallothionine mm-hmm. that uh, regulates or removes heavy metals from our system. Mm-hmm. It essentially uh, has seven, uh, seven spots on a molecule of metallothionine mm-hmm. that can attach to a heavy metal atom. And when it's uh, full of heavy metals, it then is excreted through the bile. Mm-hmm. Uh, Recent studies of the brains of Alzheimer's uh, patients who have died Mm -hmm. and age-matched patients who died from other causes showed that Alzheimer's patients had one-third of the metallothionine that a person who had died from another cause would have. Mm. And so Dr. Walsh uh, did a study where he took a group of Uh, dementia patients, Mm -hmm. and he put them on a protocol called metallothionine promotion therapy. Okay. And all this does is it encourages the body to build more metallothionine. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the study, 25% of his his, uh, subjects were no longer diagnosable with dementia. Interesting they had actually reversed. Fascinating. And another Mm -hmm. 25% had remained stable, Mm -hmm. which is unlikely in the normal course of dementia because it's a progressive disease. Right. And unfortunately, 50% of them continued to decline. (laughs) Right. So what we have is perhaps the first inkling of an effective or potentially effective uh, way to prevent dementia, mm-hmm. uh, and it's been estimated that those of us who are alive today, by the time we're 85, one in two of us will have dementia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, metallothionine promotion is a is a very exciting protocol, and that also has to be done under supervision of someone who uh, has been properly trained mm-hmm. uh, in the Walsh protocols so that it can be done right. Sure, sure. I
0: mean, I think it's another tool that we can add on to the things that we know um, are, are, are going on. There's a lot we don't know, but there are things we do know about what's actually going on. Um, certainly, inflammation uh, is... You know, pretty well universally recognized to be a major factor in dementia and, and uh, you know, degeneration of the brain. There was an interesting study that I saw last week or the week before talking about how the beta amyloid proteins in Alzheimer's, um, at least in mice or rats, are... Um, uh, protect their brains against uh, parasitic and and either viral or bacterial infections, and mm-hmm. so they were arguing that um, at least again for some, because uh, why why would we not think that maybe there are biotypes of dementia and there are different primary underlying causes of dementia, or as you know we see in day in and day out that most chronic disease is not cut and dried with one. One issue causing the problem, which is where a lot of MDs get hung up, when we if, when we change three or four or five things all at once, they say, "Well, how, which one worked?" Mm-hmm. And the answer is often all of them worked. That each one is is contributing a piece to what's going on. We often tell our patients, "Look, the the simple model that was put forward that 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 the conventional system had tremendous success." dealing with infectious disease, which is often one bug causes one disease, and therefore you find the right killing agent for that one bug, and then the disease goes away. Chronic disease doesn't really work like that, that often there are many problems that go together, and so we often tell our patients, look, if we put you on five things, it's possible that one of those things does 100% of the work and four of them don't do anything. It's possible that one one of those things does 80% of the work and the other four do 20% of the work. But it's possible that each individual thing only does 20% of the work and that if you looked at each single agent in, in its turn, you would say, well, that doesn't do very much. That only fixes 20% of my problem. But you put multiple things together and you find that they add up to great effect. So absolutely, I think metallothionine and metallothionine promotion can be is tremendous. Look, if even if all it did was save 25% of those people from going down the path of dementia, that's huge. I mean, if we had a drug that could prevent 25% of the people from from pro- pro- progressing with their dementia it'd be all over the place. I mean, the current drugs that are used in dementia work really badly. It's just the conventional system has nothing else. So they're they they use things like aricept and some of these other drugs that that just don't much. Um, but I think handling inflammation is, is a key component, and whether that inflammation is caused by things like chronic infections in the body or the brain, whether it's caused by... Uh, I've also heard, um, and people may have heard, that Alzheimer's is called type 3 diabetes or insulin mm-hmm. resistance of the brain. Uh, there are some uh, data to suggest that um, the same enzyme that clears insulin out of the brain also clears away the beta amyloid plaques and when it's too busy trying to clear away insulin there's none left to clear away the, the plaques itself and so I think there's likely to be many reasons but any therapy that, that helps 50% of the population is is a great start
1: and I really want to emphasize that it's too soon to make that claim oh, fair. but uh, it's perhaps the most exciting individual study that I've seen a long, in a long time. You know, when we talk about beta amyloid, mm-hmm. um, when I was in school a million years ago, uh, <laughs> it was thought that beta amyloid and the fibrillary tangles uh-huh. uh, were the pathogenic cause of dementia.
0: Okay. But mm-hmm.
1: what we know now is that uh, there are a lot of people who have um, a lot of amyloid plaque mm-hmm. uh, that do not have any symptoms of dementia, right? And people who have the neurofibrillary tangles that do not have any symptoms of dementia, right? So, <clears throat> in science, it's been my observation that we we tend to to move ahead with. True wisdom Mm -hmm. very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. And it takes a very long time for research to uh, translate into clinical practice. Yes. Uh, So I doubt that we'll see metallothionine promotion being offered uh, across the board uh, in my lifetime. Sure. But it could very well be that uh, by the time uh we do get there Mm -hmm. we will be able to identify the biotypes of dementia just as we can now identify the biotypes of depression the biotypes of schizophrenia Mm -hmm. the biotypes of bipolar disease Mm. and we can tailor our treatment to the specific biochemistry of a patient, mm-hmm. rather than just give everybody the same treatment and, uh, and hope that some of them uh, get better. And of course, whatever you do, some of them do get better. Sure. Uh, but there's been an unfortunate pattern in psychiatry that the people who don't get better, no matter what we do, we tend to label them treatment-resistant as if it's their fault, when it really should be called practitioner ignorance. Uh, We don't know what we're doing. Uh, If we can't help someone and articulate the biochemistry and the neuropsychology and the cognitive and behavioral issues uh, in a reliable way, Yes. Then we shouldn't label them treatment resistant. We should just admit, I don't know.
0: Right. I 100% agree with you. You know, we see all the time people are blamed or told that their problems are, well, it's all in your head. You're just making it up. Clearly, uh, the fault is with you when um, we don't like to admit this, but of course, the fault lies with, with us, exactly as you said. Um, so. How has this, uh, we're, we're going to need to wrap this conversation up relatively soon and get going with our functional forum, but how has all this changed your practice, Rick? I mean, you've, so you've gone from mostly doing psycho, psychotherapeutic-type right. work. Mm-hmm. So how, how are these new insights and in biotypes and the use of nutrients and testing to evaluate people, how has this changed what you do?
1: Well, it's changed my work dramatically. Mm-hmm. I, I use a metaphor of, uh, I used to sit at the end of a rowboat with a megaphone, and shout row row mm. while the patient had, was rowing with the oars. Yeah. And some of my patients did really well, mm-hmm. uh, but a, f- a significant number uh, were just stuck. No matter how hard they rowed, the boat wouldn't go anywhere. Right. And then this discovery of biotypes has allowed me to realize that the reason is the anchor was down Mm -hmm. we can't expect someone to uh, repair a biochemical imbalance through their will alone Mm -hmm. and so now what i do is i help them lift the anchor Mm -hmm. by effectively diagnosing the biotype and prescribing the proper uh, approach to addressing that chemical imbalance mm-hmm. and i still have to do a little coaching and mm-hmm. a little rowing training right right but uh patients are are rowing faster and better than they ever have before right and uh, so i'm enjoying my work uh more at this point than i have in the 46 years that i've uh, been in my practice, mm-hmm. and I've always loved my work, but I've always felt there was a piece missing, and so now I feel like I have that missing piece, and I feel complete in my ability to help uh, almost anyone who walks in through the door. Nice. It's important to acknowledge, I think, that there are still people that we don't understand. Even with Dr. Walsh's wisdom, uh, I'm sure there will be another Dr. Walsh in the next 50 years who will take us further. Um, But um, the work is extraordinarily satisfying Mm -hmm. for me to be able to help people in months. Whereas when I started in psychoanalysis, it was years of therapy was expected, and I really didn't see a whole lot of uh, progress with those approaches. Sure,
0: sure. So let me make sure. There's still a place for talk therapy, and there's still a place for all the, the different styles of therapy. It's not just all changing people's brain chemistry. Right?
1: No, because when you grow up with a, a, a chemical imbalance, It causes you to develop certain beliefs about yourself, other people, and the world, and your future, and Mm -hmm. your possibilities. Mm -hmm. And so we still have to uh, kind of dig through that and modify that. But it becomes possible when you aren't constantly filled with dread, or uh, when you don't go through significant uh, mood swings where you feel optimistic one day, and suicidally depressed another. Mm -hmm. So uh, correcting chemical imbalance allows us to do the psychological work Mm -hmm. with greater efficacy and um, I think produces a a better positive effect all around. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, if we agree that the mind and body are connected to one another, then fixing one helps the other work better. And uh, so... So we're coming at it from different angles I think a lot of times uh, you know I'm dealing with more physical diseases and trying to get people to recognize the mental and emotional components of those diseases and deal with them to help fix physically what's going on And I think on the other side it's recognizing that people can have these stuck emotions and poor coping mechanisms and a whole variety of issues and those need to be addressed but if we don't get to the underlying Dysfunctions that are going on in their brain, then it's really, really hard for people to make any significant change. Would you you agree? Very good. Well said. All right, Rick. So, how can, if someone's interested, how can they, what's the best way that they can look you up and find you?
1: Well, that's a question I wasn't really prepared for.
0: Well, look, no problem. We can go ahead and, you know, you can get me all your contact info. I can put it up with this post. Sure. Um, Uh I do have
1: a website Uh called uh, drwyckoff.org. That's D-R-W-Y-C-K-O-F-F dot org. Uh And I am soon to launch a new website, which will be focusing more on the new work that I'm doing, Uh uh, called East... The EastsideIntegrativePsychology.com.
0: Okay, EastsideIntegrativePsychology.com. Dot com. Okay. Right. And so are you doing, so for anybody out there who's listening, um, you are here in the greater Seattle area. Do you do work with people who might be somewhere else? Do you do any type of virtual work or work for people who may not be in this area?
1: I'm only licensed to practice in the state of Washington. Yes. Uh... However, I can consult, teach, educate, or coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do ask out-of-state or out-of-country individuals to sign a waiver indicating that we've discussed that this is not psychological practice, uh, and I'm not practicing psychology in their state without a license.
0: Sure, sure. By all means, please be legally, you know. Legally safe for yourself. I just know there's a lot of people out there who may be thinking this approach sounds great, but who do I go and see to get some of this work done? They can go
1: to Dr. Walsh's website, the walshresearchinstitute.com. Okay. And he has a uh, list of trained practitioners. I happen to be on that list Mm -hmm. along with some very fine integrative psychiatry specialists. Nice. Um, And so there are likely people in other states. Mm -hmm. Uh, If someone wanted to work with me, Mm -hmm. I generally prefer if they're in another state that we collaborate with a licensed psychologist in their state Mm -hmm. and I function as a consultant. Sure, sure. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Well, folks, this is exciting information and news. There are alternatives for dealing with mental health issues besides drugs and besides just talk therapy for people. We know that um, through some pioneering work that there are different approaches that we can take, that the use of simple minerals and nutrients and vitamins, when directed appropriately and correct for a person's issue, can make really serious Uh, positive improvements for people and for some that might include completely being able to go off their medications for others uh, they can reduce their medications take less of them or smaller amounts and for some people they may still need their medications but at least they work better Um, their quality of the person's quality of life is improved and this is fantastic because for a lot of people suffering from mental health problems Uh, There's just not a tremendous amount of help. I mean, maybe the drugs work, and if they do, that's great, and maybe they don't. And then it's just this kind of circus of trying different drugs and hoping something works and then brushing the person under the rug and trying to forget about them for the most part because they're they're treatment-resistant, like we said. So... Different approaches, we want to say thank you to Dr. Walsh for his carrying on the work of Dr. Pfeiffer and his own pioneering efforts. And uh, for anyone out there who's interested, you can find Dr. Wyckoff. We'll put all his uh, links and uh, you can check out the Walsh Institute and see if there's someone local to you. If you're not uh, in the greater Seattle area, the state of Washington. All right, folks. Well, until next time, uh, take care and we will talk to you later. All right folks that wraps up another episode of the aspire natural health podcast if you enjoyed it we hope you've subscribed to us over at itunes you can also check us out at our website www.aspirenaturalhealth.com that's aspire is as an a s 7849. You can set up that free 15 minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.